0: To me, this this is a travesty to the sport because we go out there on the field and we play the game. And regardless of whether it looks good at the quarterback position, regardless whether we win with offense, whether we win with defense, the name of the game is to win. And that's a reason never before has this not been done, winning a power five conference, going undefeated and not getting into the playoff. So I I understand we want to look at style points and who are we going to get for the best matchups. But that's not what this is about.
1: 7:03 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody! Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 6:50. Halford Brough of The morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. That voice you just heard—that was ESPN's Booger McFarland talking about. All due respect to the Nikita Zadorov trade, not the biggest story in sports over the weekend. <laughs> biggest story in sports over the weekend is what happened in college football. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. Uh, I need to tell you that we are in hour two of this program, and hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, Kintech
2: Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews.
1: Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. So again, this morning is another illustrative moment for the show about how you can't please everybody out there in listener land, right? Like, we were talking fairly extensively in the last segment about hockey in the NHL and Couple of the mouth breathers out there were like, "Who cares? Talk about the Canucks." I'm like, "We're talking about hockey. Very close, very closely related to the Canucks."
2: Are you going to get your week started off by getting frustrated by the listeners? Is that how you're going to spend the first like hour of your week? Because if 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 you're going to do that in the first hour, then you've you've getting getting very frustrated with the listeners lately.
1: Then I realize. I, I just wonder: is it, is everything okay in your life? Then I realized, no. I will not sink down to their level. We will press on because Mm -hmm. you said prior to going to break, we're going to talk about college football. And then I said, now we're going to hear about it. But you know what? (laughs) I don't even care because what happened in college football over the weekend should garner the interest of anyone that is interested in sports, period. Doesn't matter what sport, doesn't matter what level. And the genesis, the origin, the, the soul of competition, was really challenged this past weekend. I'm not afraid to say it. I think that's how big of a story mm-hmm. this is. So for those that have no idea what we're talking about, college football has a four-team playoff every year to figure out who's going to be the national champion, right? It's been different in the past. It's going to be more next year. I think. Right. Yeah. But right now, four teams get to duke it out to decide who's going to be the national champion. Now, those teams got to that playoff on merit. Record-wise, competition-wise, they were four of the best teams in college football, and they're all going to get to play for the national title. But I say on merit because it's not entirely on merit. There's a selection committee that decides which four of these great teams gets to go and play. And this year, it came down to a Final Four of Alabama, Texas, your Washington Huskies, and um, who's the fourth now? Michigan. I Thank you, Michigan. One team that's not going to be there is Florida State. Now, that's a big deal because Florida State won all of its football games this year. They played 13. They won 13. They're also in a Power 5 conference. Yeah, which they means beat teams like Clemson. They were mm-hmm. the best team in a Power 5 conference. In fact, they're the only team that's gone undefeated and won an, a, a conference title in a Power 5 conference to not be selected for this postseason tournament. And here's why it got confusing.
2: And it is going to. this is going to be confusing. So pay attention. Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC title game allowed all this controversy to happen. If Georgia had won, I have no doubt in my mind that it would have been the four undefeated teams that would have gone to the college football playoff. It would have been Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State would have got in there. So no Alabama or Texas. Mm -hmm. But when Alabama beat Georgia, Alabama, of course, entered the conversation because they're a one-loss team that that won the SEC. Mm -hmm. Largely considered the most powerful and best conference in college football. And even if you think the SEC is a little overrated, look at who usually wins the national title game. Look at who's usually in the college football title game. It's usually an SEC team. Sometimes it's two SEC teams. So Alabama obviously going to get consideration. One loss team, they Mm -hmm. win the SEC. But Texas also entered the conversation because Texas, like Alabama, only had one loss, And Texas beat Alabama. Mm -hmm. Granted, it was all the way back in September, but they did it. Their only loss was to Oklahoma, a really good team. Yep. So how could the committee, if they were convinced, we got to let Alabama in because they're the SEC title uh, holders, Mm -hmm. we got to let them in, how could they then keep Texas out? Because Texas was a one-loss team like Alabama, and again, they had beaten Alabama. Mm -hmm. Oh, and here's the thing. And this is really the crux of this debate. There was zero chance that the SEC was going to get shut out of the playoffs. Mm -hmm. They could have allowed it to happen. Ultimately, it came down to, according to the committee, it came down to Alabama or Florida State. That was the fourth seed and the fifth seed. Correct. And they went with Alabama. And one of the reasons that they gave, one of the main reasons that they gave was not – necessarily the strength of schedule or the fact that the sec has the toughest schedule and if you win the sec you should definitely be in there it was that florida state lost its starting quarterback a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. kid by the name of jordan travis and the committee said one of the things we do consider is player availability And our job is to rank the best teams. And in the final decision, looking at that, it was Alabama at four and Florida State at five. They said Florida State is a different team without Jordan Travis. Mm. And to me, that strikes me as really, really unfair and unjust because even if the committee has a point in that the Florida State Seminoles are a lesser team without Jordan Travis they grinded it out and they got it done they finished the season undefeated they beat a very good louisville team by you know being by having a great defensive performance and they did it with their third string quarterback cuz the other guy got the second string guy got banged up too mm-hmm. so you're sitting there saying like yeah florida state you finished undefeated yeah you grinded it out uh, after losing your starting quarterback
1: And you're going to be punished for that. Okay, so the reason that this is a fundamentally important conversation for sports, after laying the groundwork on all this, is it gets boiled down to this. The committee chose... So the choice here was, do you go with proven performance or predictive competitiveness? And you know what that means? Remember last year when we were talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs? And we said, especially in that that Final Four... They're like Florida, Carolina, Dallas, and Vegas. We're like, man, you can't even pick what you'd want as the dream desired outcome here. But it ended up being a really lame Stanley Cup final because it was two markets that really honestly probably nobody wanted, and Vegas took care of it easy. If we all had our say at the beginning, we're like, you know what? Why don't you just fast-track Boston and, I don't know, Colorado to the final? Make it a really exciting final. Mm -hmm. In a way, that's what college football has done is manipulated what the matchup is going to be based on what they think is going to be the most entertaining Final Four. Not who deserves to be there, but what they think is going to be. If Alabama played Florida State in a neutral site
2: and Florida State doesn't have Jordan Travis, so they're starting that third-string kid that had like 55 yards passing Mm -hmm. against Louisville, what would the line be? I think it would be Alabama by
1: 21. Plus 100? Yeah. They would murder them probably. Probably. Put Probably. But that's the thing. Do you start to manipulate the end game because you don't like what the end game might look like? Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous, dangerous avenue. And I'm I'm shocked that they went there. But I understand why. Yeah. Because there was a I, I'm not shocked, by the way. I knew that though. Like I, I predicted that Florida State would get left out. I'm shocked that someone said the quiet part out loud and said, We're going with subjectivity over fact. Mm-hmm. That instead of But that's the committee's job. It's to be it to make sh- those subjective decisions. But that's not sports.
2: That's not sports at its core. Well, Florida State, if you look at their schedule, yeah, they're a power five team, but it was a lesser schedule. If you win, ACC wasn't great this year.
1: It completely undermines everything that we know about sports being this is 100% merit based. Mm -hmm. That if you win all of your games. And you show up 13 times and you get the dub 13 times. And you overcome
2: adversity and, you know, like win games however you can. Like that Louisville-Florida State game was ugly, but Florida State got the job done.
1: And now what you're saying is, well, no, style points do matter. Yeah. It's not if you win, it's how you win. And that to me is a really, really crazy thing To say out loud, I can understand if you lose your starting quarterback and you lose a game, and they're like, well, you guys had a nice run, but your season's done. What do you say to a coaching staff and all the other units of a football team that decided in the wake of losing their most important player, Mm -hmm. they were going to step up and play better and win games? So it's hilarious. We're getting text in like, this is why that tournament needs to
2: be expanded to eight teams in three rounds. Well, we they the same problem. They're expanding it, but there's still going to be like the team that gets left out,
1: right? Because the now it's going it to be the ninth yeah. team is going to be the snub instead of the fifth Or team. if
2: there's 12 teams in there, because I think that's actually, that is the new system. And the first four teams are going to get a bye. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's it. Um, then the 13th place team is going to be like, we deserve to be in there. Now it won't be quite as... Um, controversial as this one is, I guarantee the committee was watching the games this weekend and going, "Oh God!" Oh, God. like when Alabama beat Georgia, they're yeah. like, Uh-oh. "Now we've got a and problem." They were, they must have been cheering so hard for Louisville to beat Florida State in that really ugly game, mm-hmm. and because even during that game, the announcers were sitting there, the broadcasters were sitting there, going, "Florida State could win this
1: and miss the playoff,"
2: because I think that they knew that it was going to happen now, the way
1: everything had been played out i'm going to play devil's advocate to myself i'm going to play both roles mm-hmm. is i completely get why this happened i don't live i'm not naive enough to think that the good pure honest parts of sport are always going to win out in the end right this isn't a disney movie i'm not writing a fairy tale here i know that what happened last year by the way in case you missed it the national title game for football was decided by a game that was 65-7. to And that was a nationally televised game that was supposed to be the pinnacle of college football and ended up being one of the biggest blowouts of all time. And that was because a little school by the name of TCU got in there and won a game in the playoff and then went into the final and were it was men against boys. It was two teams that had no business being on the field against one another in a national championship game. Style points mattered. And on that day, there were no style points. It was awful. If you go back and look at some of the headlines from that, some of the adjectives that were throwing around, some—I mean, it just—it was described as an embarrassment. It was a team. It was basically a team that was full of future NFLers mm-hmm. against a, a glorified high school team. Yeah, and it was embarrassing on a big stage to have your championship game be decided by nearly sixty points. That being said. I go back to my other side of the coin and my other is devil advocate, devil's advocate thing. That's how it played out. Sports should, at the end of the day, be merit-based, and it shouldn't be a bunch of guys in the room deciding and manipulating who gets to play who. Based but on how what- do
2: you define merit? Some people would say that a one-loss SEC, uh, SEC record is better than a undefeated uh, ACC record. If this is the first so- time,
1: that, if this is the first time, wh- why was this the first time ever? Because it never happened like this.
2: Because it never happened like this because they didn't have four alternatives before. That's why.
1: But what was the alternative for? It wasn't because they lost their way out, it was because their starting quarterback got hurt.
2: Uh, The Vancouver Canucks have five games coming up, all of them at home. And it starts Tuesday against the New Jersey Devils. So these are the five teams that are coming into town to play the Canucks. The Devils. And then it's the Minnesota Wild on Thursday. then on Saturday, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. Tuesday, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning. This is next Tuesday. And then next Thursday, the Florida Panthers. So we made this point earlier. No back-to-backs in this homestand. So that means two things. Number one, they might get some practice time in. That's hard to do when... It has been hard to do, uh, considering their back-to-back heavy and road-heavy schedule of the last couple of weeks. Uh, it also brings up the question of how many games should Casey DeSmith play? How many games should Thatcher Demko play? Uh, Casey DeSmith last played Saturday, November 25th. That was that game in San Jose that A Dog was so upset about because the Canucks lost... to the Sharks. Uh, Demko has played the last three games. He's 2-1-1. His only loss came to the Vegas Golden Knights, and that certainly wasn't because Thatcher Demko wasn't very good. Um, All five of these teams are interesting to me. New Jersey, uh, because they're currently out of playoff spot. Uh, They have two Hughes brothers, so there's going to be three Hughes brothers on the ice, Tuesday against... Hughes the, for 60. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of Hughes. There's going to be a lot of Hughes talk, uh, and I'm sure all three of them are going to be motivated to make their impact in the game. Um, I don't know who's going to start... For the New Jersey Devils in goal. Uh, they got a goaltending problem there. They've also got an injury problem. You know, they had missed time from Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. Nico Heischer, by the way, who is probably, I think, the most underrated player in the game today. But now they've got Dougie Hamilton out indefinitely, they said, mm-hmm. with a pectoral injury. And that's his fault for having pecs. I don't have any. So they, I can't hurt them.
1: Can't pull them if you don't have
2: them. And then Thursday, it's the Minnesota Wild in town. And that's a big game for Minnesota because Minnesota don't look now, but they've been a lot better under their new coach, John Hines. They're they're getting the new coach bump, so that'll be a tough game for the Canucks. Saturday, Carolina, kind of a similar story to New Jersey, although not as dire. They are not getting great goaltending. They're not quite as stingy as they have been in the past. You know, Every time you play against Carolina, you're like, oh, we're going to be in for a defensive battle. Not so much this season. I'm not sure why. Tampa Bay, we talked a little bit about Tampa Bay with David Amber. Something's not right in Tampa Bay. They've lost four straight mm-hmm. and they lost eight one in Dallas the other day. And if you look at some of the stats, I know we don't make a big deal about, about plus minus anymore. We don't sit there and say this guy's got the the biggest minus, so he must be the worst player in the, the NHL, right? Like it's silly. Mm-hmm. But Steven Stamkos is minus fifteen. Mikhail Sergachev is minus 16. That says a lot about how this team is playing as a team and maybe the quality of the team. Um, Vasilevsky missed a bunch of games early on. Maybe he's still trying to round round into form, but we'll see what shape Tampa Bay is going to be in when they arrive in Vancouver next Tuesday.
1: And then the Florida Panthers, who look pretty good, I guess. They're, they've had the, considering how thinned out their blue line was to start the year and the savior known as Oliver Ekman Larson riding well, in the on Canucks the beat them
2: earlier in the season in Florida. Right.
1: But they were they their beginning of the season. I thought that they were going to really crater because it's I mean, they were without Montour and Ekblad for a considerable amount of time. They deserve full marks for what they've been able to do this year, especially on the heels of a surprising Stanley Cup run in which everyone got hurt. They've been really good. But I go back to those first three teams that you brought up. And I know you brought this up individually. But if you're going to come up with a storyline for Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, goaltending is going to be front and center. Because you've got a Canucks team where Demko has been fantastic this year. There's no back-to-backs, as you mentioned. So who knows when Casey DeSmith gets the net next. New Jersey, Minnesota, and Carolina have all been plagued, plagued by goaltending problems this year. So New Jersey... In their last game before setting out on this road trip, I don't know if you saw this one over the weekend, Laddie pointed it out, they hosted the lowly San Jose Sharks mm-hmm. and lost 6-3 in a game in which they outshot the Sharks by about 90 shots. Like It was so <laughs> one-sided. I think it ended up being 47-21, to 21, and the Sharks scored, what, six goals on... 18 shots or something. It was it was a ridiculous total. I can't remember what. But um, that's where – so you got the New Jersey side of things. Minnesota's goaltending has not been good this year. And it was part of the reason why Dean Evison was eventually shown the door. Carolina's goaltending hasn't been good either. So if you want to talk about an opportunity for pucks to find the back of the net, maybe some of these guys who haven't necessarily found their goal-scoring touch, <laughs> Connor Garland this year. Start looking at these next three games and say, this are three teams that have come in with subpar goaltending. It's a real opportunity for one, Thatcher Demko to be the better of the two goalies on the ice, and two, start getting pucks on net and in the back of the net. Laddie?
3: Six on 18, by the way. So uh, 12 for 18 are the goalies. That's ridiculous. There's one empty netter in there. Okay. Uh,
2: There's a new 32 Thoughts podcast out there uh, if you want anything else to listen to today. Maybe you're tired of all the college football talk on Sportsnet 650. Um, we're going to play a couple of clips for you of uh, Jeff and Elliot talking about the Zadorov trade and what happens now and maybe why certain things didn't happen. Um, Greg, I want you to play this clip about how um, if the Leafs had acquired Zadorov and Tanev, Resigning both of them might have made Calgary look bad. Yeah, he says. And maybe the, that's why
3: the deal didn't. Well, look. he says at the end of the clip that it wasn't a major factor, he thinks, in okay. why the deal didn't go down, but it was something that the Flames did think about.
4: I think Calgary suspects that if Toronto traded for either player, if not both, they would be able to resign them. And you know, I think, I don't, do, do I think that scuttled the trade? No, but I think in the back of their minds that the Flames might have been wondering, okay, if we trade a rental or two rentals there and the player resign because we think Toronto will have the ability and the desire to do it and the player will want to go there. I just think they felt that that could make the deal look even worse in the long run. I don't think it was a primary concern, but I think it was a thing.
2: So Patrick Galvin was asked yesterday if his intention was to resign Nikita Zdorov, and he said, uh, you know, obviously in his non-committal way, mm-hmm. he said, well, this is an opportunity for us to take a look at Nikita. And, and him, for, ta- and and him and, to take a look at us. Exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't sound like anything is imminent there, but... You know, from all we've heard from guys like Rick Dolly, well, the Canucks have been looking at Zadorov for a while, and we all know that they need defensemen. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Nikita Zadorov gets re-signed in Vancouver. But again, the Canucks have some big deals that could affect a lot of how much cap space they have and what they can do here and what they can do there. Uh, they've almost got to figure out the Pedersen and horonic situation before all this, mm-hmm. uh, and they got to figure out you know is Connor Garland going to still be part of the team, et cetera, et cetera. One more clip I want to play from Thirty Two Thoughts because it's about Chris Tanev and whether or not now that Nikita Zadorov is gone, does that, am I am I saying this right? That maybe the Flames could re-sign Chris Tanev now. What do Free Jim Merrick have to say about that?
4: You know, I had a couple of people who think that Calgary makes another run to sign him. Now I don't know what the likelihood of that is or isn't, but I I I did have a couple of people who think that Calgary will try to keep him. So we'll see how that all plays out. You also had
3: a quick little tidbit saying that the the Leafs could also still be interested in him as well.
4: Yeah, that was the big takeaway.
3: for the Canucks
1: too. (laughs) Yeah, that was the big takeaway for Saturday. It's like, well, there was a discussion here about both moving to Toronto. They didn't get both, but they're still going to circle back on the one. I have no idea what Calgary's going to do. I wish I had more scintillating analysis, but it is the most complex and confusing situation because they have so many guys that are ready to hit the open market, and they're kind of a playoff team. I don't think they know what they want to do. Uh, I, th- I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, but the only thing I'm pretty sure of is because that- remember when Winnipeg, um, when
2: Winnipeg traded Dubois, and they were like, "We want NHL players back." And They got because them. they don't want to rebuild, right? <laughs> yeah, They've they got already got back. an attendance issue in Winnipeg. They don't want to go through a long rebuild. Yeah. I think Calgary's in the same situation. Like they don't want to. They don't want to bottom
1: out. I think the only thing they had, and
2: they can't because they've committed to Hubert on contract. I think
1: the only thing they had pressure in terms of like we need to do this with some immediacy was moving Zadorov because he asked for a trade. Yeah, I think they're like, you know what? Let's just clean this one up. They had a couple different options. They signed Mark Pizik to a deal shortly thereafter, and Shillington showed back up uh, the other day as well. So, but they had options. The rest of the guys they're all fundamentally important to either what the Flames are going to do or not going to do mm. this year. And that's either make the playoffs or not. I don't know how they're going to play this out.
2: Mike Tanner is going to join us next to talk a little NFL on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650.
0: The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Dranz. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>
1: 733 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford, Bruff, Sportsnet 650. That was the call from another Jason Bruff lock of the week. Mm -hmm. The numbers on this guy are outstanding.
2: I'm even predicting blown calls by the refs
1: out there. He's got it all. I was like, I I knew they wouldn't call that pass interference. (laughs) Bruff picked the Packers (laughs) to cover the plus six. On Sunday night football. The Packers not only did that, they went out one straight up. Mm-hmm. Big win for them. Over how, how did your lock of the week
2: do the Eagles? They didn't do very well, did they? It was close there for a while. I warned you about that. I know. You didn't listen. You didn't heed my warnings. I did not. I went in the exact opposite direction. The yeah. Niners are scary good, man. If they stay, stay healthy, I'd be, I, I'm at the point with the Niners that
1: um, if they stay, stay healthy, I'll be surprised if they don't win the Super Bowl. They took the first quarter off. Against Philadelphia and still won 42-19. They've got so many weapons on both sides of the ball. Let's start with that conversation with our next guest. From The Messenger, our NFL insider, Mike Tannier, here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Michael, good morning to you.
0: Good morning. I'm going to tell you something right now. On the FTN podcast that I'm on, I, mm-hmm. I, I, me and Aaron Schatz told people to take the 49ers, and I didn't play them. And I, we told people to take the Packers, at very least the Packers and the points, because it looked like it was going to be closer, and I didn't play them. What did I wager yesterday? I wagered on the Patriots. <laughs> what did you possibly wager? I hope you wager? took the under. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't take the under. The under in uh, this Thursday night game coming up between the Patriots and Steelers, is set at 32, I might tease it down to 22 and take 32? the under. That's how confident I am in that one. I've never seen a total in 32 before. That's unbelievable. I did
1: not. I knew they would get low. The Patriots are averaging 12.3 points per game. That's the lowest in the NFL. And the Packers <laughs> were in a horrible offense before their starting quarterback got hurt. So now it's Mitch Trubisky. So, yeah, I can understand why it's that low. But, Mike, that's a crazy low number.
0: Uh, by the way, it's actually 31.5. <laughs> I double-checked just now. Oh, so God, there's Too much action on the under.
1: <laughs> um, oh, okay, I wa- I do want to start now with what happened between the Eagles and the 49ers yesterday, because yeah. we spent a lot of time last week hyping up this matchup, uh, NFC title game rematch, although with an asterisk, because this time Brock Purdy participated in it, but it was... There were so many storylines from this one, not including the Philadelphia Eagles' sideline security. We can get to that later. Uh, Just give me your big-picture takeaways from this, because 42-19, to that was a revenge game. That was a payback game. That was a statement from the 49ers on Sunday.
0: Revenge, angry, payback, retribution, however you want to call it, message to the NFL. The second or I guess the third message to the NFL, the 49ers have have made in, you know, this year where they, they trounced the Jaguars, they trounced the Cowboys. And again, the, the, the Cowboys and the Eagles are the two other teams to beat in the NFC, and the 49ers have beaten them by a combined score of, I believe it's 84 to 29 this year. So that's what you take away from it. You know, the 49ers are the The best team in the NFL. Period. Full stop. Nothing else to say about it. You know, when they're at full strength, they are that good, and they're at full strength right now. And you know, the best abilities, availability. We can talk about. Whoa! What happens if McCaffrey gets hurt? What happens if Debo gets hurt? Yeah, sure. What happens if J.J. Brown gets hurt? What happens if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt? You can play that game with any team anywhere. You look at this Niners team, and I think you said it before I came on. You'd be surprised if they don't reach the Super Bowl, but we're surprised they don't win the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. at this point unless they have injuries. Yeah, that's about it. That's how good they are right now.
1: Here's one for you. The 49ers have five games left in the regular season. It's the Seahawks coming up next. Yikes. Oh, good. Uh, Then they're at Arizona. Then they host Baltimore. Then they're at Washington. And then they host the LA Rams to finish it off. Are the Niners going to lose another
0: game this season? Uh, Maybe not. And here's the thing. If they lose, it's probably Ravens on Christmas. Right. And that's going to be the best, game, the best game in history that never mattered. Because, because if they, they lose the Ravens, you know, that's an AFC team. That's not going to – it's very unlikely to impact either team's like, tiebreakers for the playoffs. So you have this potential Super Bowl preview on Christmas night itself, and it sounds phenomenal. And win or lose, just like, yeah, they're still the two best teams. We'll, maybe we'll see them again in, you know, in six weeks. That's how, that's how well-positioned – the Niners still have work to do. They are a, a game behind the Eagles – yeah, if the Eagles mm-hmm. lose to the Cowboys, then they still have to. The Niners have to watch out for the Cowboys, and they have to watch out for the Lions. But yeah, they're well positioned right now to maybe go. I don't know, thirteen and four, fourteen and three, and be in unbelievable shape for the postseason.
2: Yeah, the Seahawks have to play the Eagles too. The Eagles are in Seattle on uh, <laughs> December eighteenth, and uh, the Eagles last time, or sorry, the Seahawks. When I looked at the standings, they are now ninth in the NFC because the Packers mm-hmm. have passed them, the Rams have passed them. Um, are you at the point now where you know I know a couple of weeks ago we were looking at saying, well, probably the Seahawks are still going to make the playoffs because you look at some of the teams below them and who makes you nervous? Well, you know, are the Packers a better team than them? Are the Rams a better team than the Seahawks? They've already beaten them twice this season. When do you think the Seahawks chances of making the playoffs are?
0: Per the analysis of F T N network, the Seahawks chances of reaching the playoffs are at twenty six point eight percent. Twenty six point eight. The Packers are up to seventy five point four percent. Okay. And you'll know a little more about the Vikings coming off the bye with Justin Jefferson, but there's a need to be worried about all of these teams right now. The Rams, by the way, are at thirty two percent. You have to worry about the strength of schedule coming up. You've got You mentioned what the Seahawks are dealing with in the next couple of weeks. These teams that are, you know, are are, are jockeying to get first seed, and they can't trip over a team, and the Seahawks are that trip that they don't want to trip over. You saw the Packers on on Sunday night. They're they're trending in the right direction. Young guys are getting better. better. That's a worry. Young guys are getting healthier. That's a worry. Uh, You have to worry about Justin Jefferson coming back to the Vikings, as I said. A lot of obstacles in the in the Seahawks way. And I, I guess I look at it and say, well, you know, the Cowboys, that was a nip-and-tuck game. The 49ers are beating everybody. It's games like those Rams losses, not just because of the tiebreaker, but because they demonstrate, like, where the Seahawks are. Even if that was a split, Seahawks would be in much better shape moving forward. Now they've gotten themselves into that kind of trouble. Um, is
2: pass interference going to be reviewable?
0: Will they make I that change? Beca- yeah. I hope not because it's mayhem. One thing, and, and again, we watched the end of that game on Sunday night. I watched the end of the Broncos' loss to the Texans where there was all sorts of just mugging in the end zone as Wilson's trying to throw the ball down there. I watched the end of the Jets-Stalkins game where the Trevor Simeon's in for the Jets, and he's just throwing the ball. He's just spraying the ball at covered receivers. And you can tell, like, part of it's like, well, get the ball downfield, maybe you get a flag. Get the ball downfield in the general direction. Throw it behind him, throw it over his head. They collide, maybe you get a flag. So there's one problem, which is the inconsistency of the officiating. And the other problem is if they actually called pass interference in the fourth quarter, the way it's supposed to be called, every play would be a flag. Every game would just be, oh, well, this penalty went this way. This penalty went that way. And that kicky-tack call was the one that changes. So the NFL has to look at this. And I don't know if they have to just, you know, fans have to tacitly accept it like that it's, it's the NHL and they swallowed the whistle in the fourth quarter. Or if the league has to say, hey, there's a different set of rules that come in in the fourth quarter. But if they make it, uh, uh, if they make it reviewable, it's just going to create another set of headaches as one coach chi- calls the challenge flag, the other one calls the challenge flag, and the officials look at it and say, don't question us. Don't question us. We, we saw it. That's still not past interference. <laughs> and you have to deal with another layer of controversy. You
2: know, I was listening to the broadcast yesterday, and Chris Collinsworth was saying, like, these Chiefs, like, they're, they're still good, but they just don't look like an Andy Reid coach team all the time, and he kind of cited like the, it's, they're not playing like a professional team right now. Um, yeah, a lot of Chiefs fans were angry with the officiating uh, at the end of that. But yes. one of the things that one of the reasons I was like the Chiefs, there seems to be something off about them. Um, I'm at to the point like, is their defense better than their offense at this point? Like, what's going on with the Chiefs?
0: Their receivers stick. Their wide receivers. Yeah, wide I mean that's that's the possible. obvious answer, right? <laughs> Yeah, it is. They are below average. Their defense is better than it used to be. They were running the ball very well uh, yesterday, although they had settled for a couple of field goals, and that was another little problem there. But you know, I, I, and I had this debate in the in the tavern. You know, it's like they must really regret getting rid of Tyreek Hill. And I I looked at the guys. And said they they won a Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl, and they won the Super Bowl with the guys that they were able to draft and pay because they got rid of Tyreek Hill. So they, they just they just have this sort of how do you sustain success Problem. It's a team that won two Super Bowls, went to a third, guys got expensive. They had to trade one of their big players for parts. They were still able to win a Super Bowl. And now, like, you're getting a rent due, so to speak. And, you know, it's not bad when you're 9-4 and four and you're going to win your division. But it's hard to look at them going into the playoffs, going into, like, a gauntlet where they're going to have to face the Ravens. They're going to have to face the Jaguars. They're going to have to face the Dolphins and say, this team is ready to get in those shootouts when you still have these games where you look at it and say, well, other than Travis Kelsey, I have no idea who's going to step up on their offense.
2: So let's talk about these Patriots. And I know, I know we've spoken about them with you uh, fairly recently, actually, but getting shut out twice at home in a season, making your fans sit through that. um, I mean, (laughs) it was, it was, uh, I don't know how many fans probably didn't even use their tickets. They looked at the weather and they looked at the teams and they're like, nah, I think I'll stay at home. But (laughs) The Patriots are just like—is there, is there um, like do they do they have to go through a long process here? Like, is there any easy way back for this Patriots team? Because their their defense must be doing something, right?
0: Yeah, their defense is okay. You know, Belichick and his assistants still call a good defense. They still draft good defensive players. One of them, Gonzalez, the cornerback, got hurt early, and that's contributed to this. But you know, they can still sort of grind opponents down. So there's a little bit of that in play, but it's, it's going to be a long process. It's going to be uh, overturning everything. And, you know, uh, I think Belichick is gone. I think that like a couple weeks ago, I was skeptical, and now it's getting lower and lower. I think he's gone at the end of the year, but then you're talking about, you know, a full rebuilding year after that. Uh, The number that crossed my desk, it was from pro football talk, Michael David Smith. I'm sure you guys saw it. Uh, the, The Patriots' futility in terms of losing three games in a row where the opponent only scored 10 points or less. Last time that happened was the 1938 Chicago Cardinals. 1938 Chicago Cardinals. I couldn't find any information on this team except that their head coach was also their wide receiver. Right. So, so you're... you're, you're, you're you're going back a minute in NFL history to find teams that have been as kind of futile as the Patriots have it. That's like that's the sign where you really look at and say, "There's no way they can continue moving forward with the current Bill Belichick regime."
2: Belichick is 71 years old. If he yeah. were to leave the Patriots, mm-hmm. you can, he's
0: not going to retire, is he?
2: I mean, the, he, no, where, where do you think he would Russian, end up, Commanders? The
0: Washington Commanders paratroop into his uh, home, uh, you know, they, they land in front of his driveway. Josh Harris pulls up with a cement truck full of money, and Magic Johnson, who's part of the group, goes and knocks on the door personally because they want somebody who can talk to Belichick champion to champion and give him the secret super champion handshake and all that stuff. And the commanders put that hard sell. If Belichick doesn't like what he hears there, I, I don't think he's going to the Carolina Panthers or the or the Raiders or these teams that are like obviously mm-hmm. disorganized. If those things doesn't happen, he either becomes like the commandant of the U.S. Naval Academy, or he takes a year off quietly to sit back and bide his time and twiddle his thumbs and wait for a bigger offer, a better offer. A, Jerry Jones size offer maybe to come to him.
2: Where are the commanders at right now? They came into the season. The fans were optimistic because there was a new owner, and that was reason enough to be optimistic. But, you know, they're four and nine. They just got blown out uh, by the Miami Dolphins forty five to fifteen. The good news is they don't have a game next week. They're on their bye.
0: Yeah, yeah that's the good news. Well, they fired their defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio a couple of weeks ago. They traded their two best edge rushers, Chase Young and Montez Sweat a couple of weeks ago and then all the signals were well we're playing out the string and i think they don't want to fire ron rivera in part because you know you see the raiders and you see the panthers and they fire their coaches in midseason, and it makes the ownership group look a little impetuous and a little impatient and you know these are these are guys who are trying to signal hey it's different now dan snyder's gone we're super pros so they're going to let Rivera play the string out. They're going to keep evaluating Sam Howe, who's had some good games and some very bad games. So it's kind of like a very mixed review on somebody who probably isn't the quarterback in the future. They're just going to let it go. But you're seeing a very tired, very like, like waiting for the season ending so we can get the golf bags out and get the fishing rods out and go. That's kind of the mentality I think in Washington. And we really saw that when they kept losing to the Giants, but now when they face opponents as good as the Dolphins, it's just like, okay, we're, not even, we're barely even going to put up a fight here.
1: We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Mike is a presentation of the Clayton Public House. Pre-game to post-game, the Clayton Public House is your home of football. Catch all the action on 15 screens and two giant projectors. Visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. Mike, you look atop the AFC standings right now, and there's a new number one. It's the Miami Dolphins, as Jason just mentioned. They blew out the Commanders yesterday. They now sit... At 9-3, and they might have the NFL's MVP in Tyreek Hill. He had touchdown catches of 78 and 60 yards in the first half yesterday. It felt like every time he touched the ball, there was a legitimate chance that he was going to go to the house. The question I want to ask, though, is this style of offense and the way that the Dolphins play... Is it really well suited to the playoffs where things like whistles going away happens or bad weather happens or (laughs) clutching and grabbing happens? Is this offense and the timing patterns and the speed able to overcome all that? Or do you have concerns about this high-flying offense when it gets to the postseason?
0: I have concerns about it, especially because the Dolphins lost to the three really good teams they faced this year. Right. And they've beaten up all these weak teams. Now they can't prove they can beat a good team by trouncing bad teams. They can't do it that way. And their schedule moving forward is mostly pretty easy and manageable. So I do have concerns that the Dolphins reach the playoffs and like all that, you know, Harlem Globetrotters like, like uh, offense tends to go away. Problem is, I have questions about the Kansas City Chiefs receivers, and I have questions about you know the Baltimore Ravens and their pass dropping and the fact that they do dumb stuff on fourth downs. I have problems with the Steelers. I have problems with the Browns. They don't even have their quarterbacks right now. And the Jacksonville Jets, they don't have a track record in the playoffs. They have trouble on third downs. They have trouble on fourth downs. They have trouble on the offensive line. So I worry about everybody. I worry about everybody. Where does the Dolphins' offense like like sliding down a little bit in the offense rank around it, uh, in the in the playoffs rank? There, somewhere in the middle of those worries. And you know, if they go into the playoffs with Tyreek Hill and 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 Waddle and Tua are healthy and a, not that banged up offensive line, I'm not going to say, well, their offense is a problem. I'll look at the schedule, I'll look at the opponents, and then I'll worry. Those games are going through Miami, and it is going to be nice weather, et cetera. I'm not going to worry too much about the Miami Dolphins.
2: Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers lost to the Arizona Cardinals 24-10. to 10. Uh, That was a pretty are
0: – you, are you, is, is, is that game over or is it still in rain delay?
2: Yeah, that was weird. It was, it, 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 it's finally over and, and okay, the Steelers good, lost. Good. Um, let's talk about both sides of this. Where are the Steelers at right now?
0: Well, um, Kenny Pickett's going to miss a couple weeks. Mitch Trubisky can't comes in, and say what you will about Kenny Pickett, Mitch Trubisky is not as good as him. <laughs> he kind of demonstrates that mm-hmm. uh, their offense is not fixed at all. It was weird when they scored 16 points uh, last week, and people said, "Hey, their offense is fixed." That was an interesting storyline that we dealt with, and it's a team with a very, very good defense and an almost nothing offense. And the only reason why I'm not saying well they're going to fall apart is because. The Browns have Joe Flacco at quarterback right now, and <laughs> an injured Miles Garrett. The Broncos uh, had a little turnover spree, et cetera. Like again, you—it's hard to fall out of these playoffs because everyone else is trying to fall with you. Um, but you know, it's hard to look at the Steelers and say anything except they're hard to watch. Again, the thirty-one point five under on Thursday night coming, and if they make the playoffs, it's going to be their like one of these one and done situations. Do you know
2: their next opponent too? It's New yeah, it's, it's the uh, New
0: England Patriots. New England Northern Patriots America.
2: on Thursday night. That, yeah, oh, that's why, that, that's why the under is so low, because the Steelers are involved too. Yep. Um, the Cardinals, uh, what has the return of Kyler Murray been like? Because as a Seahawks fan, I'm interested in all the teams in the division. And my question is almost like, how are the Cardinals that they've committed to Kyler Murray in such a big way?
0: I don't think they're screwed at all. I mean, he hasn't been phenomenal, but he looks like a quarterback that you can win with, mm-hmm. especially when you realize you look at his supporting cast and he has a bunch of offensive linemen who are journeymen at best and he's throwing to Hollywood Brown and a, a bunch of like weird slot receivers that Cliff Kingsbury thought he was going to run, you know, with five guys in the slot or whatever and Murray's okay. I would rather be the Arizona Cardinals with two first-round picks even if they turn out to be, you know, the fifth overall and the 20th overall, with, uh, and Kyler Murray, and a franchise quarterback, than to be playing the game of, well, look how good we'll be when we get Caleb Williams or Drake May or Panix or whatever. I think that's a better situation for them. It's helping some of these young guys develop. It's helping Jonathan Gannon put the system in place there. And, yeah, it, it was not a great performance yesterday, but you know, Trey, Trey McBride's his number one target. You, you know, it's, not, it's not a strong roster around him. I think the Cardinals have the potential to build around him, and I think that makes more sense than trading him to the highest bidder.
1: Mike, you're the best. Thanks for doing this, man. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight and all the games next weekend. We'll do this again next Monday. Absolutely. Take care and enjoy your week, guys. Yeah, you too. Thank you. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger here on the Halford & Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, quick reset here. Uh, We will be getting right back into the Canucks talk. This is your home of the Canucks and college football. Sportsnet 650, uh, Randy Janda, (laughs) uh, color analyst, for your Vancouver Canucks right here on Sportsnet 650, is going to join us on the other side. Laddie?
3: If we have Deep on, can we talk to him about how the Yankees aren't in on Otani and all this? Yeah. We, make we, sure you rub it in really good.
1: Well, and we also want to make the sure we, are we, in. we get as far away from hockey as possible, mm-hmm. thereby upsetting mm-hmm. the masses. But you And Randy. You do bring up a good point because the Jays are big, big game hunting. And Randy right is a now. big, big Yankees. One. That's right. Uh, so what is the likelihood, because now we're in this, what is the likelihood of both Juan Soto and Shohei Otani? Both? Ohtani? both? Come on, man. They're no. not getting either. No. They're both! They're not no. getting either. Dream big. Uh, They're not there's, getting Otani. Well, They're very, not getting Ohtani. There's a very, very... likely
2: Soto as a rental. Very likely forgo,
1: scenario. I will forego parties in a row if they get both those. <laughs> very games. likely scenario
3: that Otani's just using the Jays to drive the price with the Dodgers up. Right. That is a very likely scenario. The Jays are one of the few teams that have the money to boost up what the what a frickin' boost the Dodgers are gonna offer. And I think that might be his play here. So Soto seems like the much more possible.
2: And I think the accuracy. Jays are big game hunting because and there's been some reporting on this, you know, they're doing a big renovation uh of their stadium and, and a lot of the rental that they're doing right now are kind of the premium seats uh area so they gotta sell tickets mm-hmm. and the way the Jays finished the season wasn't very encouraging. And I wonder if they're looking at guys like Bichette and Vladdy and going, first of all, maybe in the case of Bichette are we gonna be able to re sign this guy long term? And with Vladdy, are they like, is this the guy the superstar that we thought he was after that 2021 season? And the answer on that might be no. Maybe Juan Soda. Maybe they're thinking like <laughs> Can he be our Kawhi? Right, mm. comes in and and has maybe one year in Toronto and makes a big impact. I I've n- I've never been particularly hopeful that either Toronto or Seattle can sign Otani. Maybe I'll be wrong on that, but it just seems obvious that he's going to
3: the and, and Soto team. is absolutely going to market. He's a, mm. uh, a he's client. got one year left. He's a right? Boris yeah. client. Yeah. He's going to go to free agency. A sign and trade isn't going to happen. Boris. <laughs> Scott Boris.
1: Oris. Um, Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Final hour of the show. We're going to talk to Randy Janda about the Vancouver Canucks. And then we are giving away two different sets of tickets. The first, to see the Canucks and the Wild, Thursday Night Rogers Arena, 7 o'clock puck drop. If you want to win those tickets, send it what we learned, hashtag it WWL, and put a ticket emoji into the text. If you want to win a pair of tickets, the Tuesday night's match between Canada and Australia, better known as Christine Sinclair's farewell match, at Christine Sinclair Place. Send a text in. It's got to be what we learned. You have to hashtag it WWL and put a soccer ball emoji into the text. Everyone got it? Good. Randy Janda coming up next on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.